worship time, I was reminded of an encounter that I had a few years ago, well, more than a few now, uh, with God, where I saw myself diving into the ocean. And uh, in the vision, I knew that the ocean represented the kingdom of God and my experiences uh, with Jesus in the kingdom. And I would dive in the ocean and I'd swim as deep as I could. And then I'd come back up to the surface for air and keep doing this. And I could see myself doing this again and again. And he, he started speaking to me and saying, there's something wrong with this image. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm having a great time. I can see this is an awesome encounter. And he said, you're saving enough breath to come back to the surface. And God began to put in my heart all those years ago now this sense of giving it all holding nothing back, having no reserve. In that vision, there was this reality in my mind that I can give only so far, but I've got to save enough breath to come back to the surface. And he was saying to me, what if you don't? In this encounter, what if you don't? What if you give all of your breath to encounter deeper in the kingdom because there's supernatural breath in the kingdom that he wanted to give, but I kept having my, I've got to go back up to the surface. And I want to say something about the, the trajectory of the table. We're not going to do neat, tidy, reasonable, sensible church. If you want to attend church on Sunday and live normal life Monday to Saturday, normal, we can talk about what that is later, but normal life Monday to Saturday, this might not be the church for you. Because I want to say as a church community, we're on a trajectory where we're holding nothing back where we're saying, I'm not going to leave any breath to the surface. I'm going to trust your purposes in the deep end, where we're going to give everything we've got in the moment, trusting that he really is all that we need to feast on. And it, it is going to get, I was going to say might, no, no, it, it guaranteed is going to get wild. It guaranteed is going to go crazy. It guaranteed is going to go off what the script of culture would tell us is reasonable living. And so I, I want to say this because I feel like these early months of a church are, are holy moments. These are the moments that dictate the trajectory of a church for many years to come. We're standing on holy ground together this morning. And I want to tell you where we're going is not sensible. And if that doesn't sound good to you, then in all kindness, I want to say this might not be the right community for you. Because we want to give our all at the feet of Jesus. That's where we're going. That's the course that we're charting ahead of us. And I really hope that everyone is in. I really hope that every single one of you are like, yeah, I don't want to play church. Namisa was praying that this morning before church started. We don't want to play at church. Absolutely right. We don't want this to be our religious duty so that we can pat ourselves on the back and then go and do whatever it is we want to do as if the kingdom of God happens between 10 and 12 on Sunday mornings and the rest of the week the kingdom is irrelevant. That's like saying I live in England in my head between 10 and 12 on Sunday mornings and then I live in the States the rest. Like it doesn't make sense. You live in one country, whether you want to recognize it or not, you're here. And that's how many Christians live. 
Many of us live like it's possible to live here some of the time and even though we're still here the rest of the time believe that we're somewhere it doesn't work that way you belong to one kingdom and you can choose to accept it and live according to that kingdom or actually you can play make-believe and many Christians are playing make-believe where we're actually part of a supernatural kingdom but we're playing make-believe as if the world around us is more real than the kingdom that we belong to I want to be someone who recognizes the kingdom Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, all the way through, that my life is lived according to the rhythm and the pace of the supernatural kingdom of God and not the rhythm and pace of the world around me. Anyway, that's kind of what I'm preaching on. We'll get there. Okay. We're going to do Matthew chapter 3. I want to talk around in the next half an hour how John the Baptist invited people to partner with the kingdom of God. He was a prophet. He provoked people to live according to this supernatural kingdom. And there's a few things that I just want to pull out of his story, a few invitations I believe his life brought to people around him and brings to us today. But we're going to read chapter 3 from verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. So really average kind of guy. (laughs) Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees who were the religious folk of his day coming to his baptism, He said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now there's an interesting passage. I just want to pinpoint three things from these verses. The first is partnering with the kingdom of God requires a willingness to partner in the strange. I want to say this because we try to normalize the kingdom so often and we try to adhere to a normality of life whilst crying out for biblical results. And if we do that, we'll find ourselves in a place of deep disappointment because normal methodology doesn't end up with kingdom results. You, you just can't. And I feel like, you know, I said to God before when I was just thinking about this message, I said, I always get up and I always say something radical. And he said, that's right, because people are hearing from the world and from the culture that seeped into the church a very loud call towards the non-radical, which means you've got to speak up even louder. And so my messages, I'm sorry, but I'm not 
really are often going to be on the theme of we've got to get more radical because we're constantly being sucked into living normal, boring, sensible lives rather than truly anchoring ourselves into the wild radical kingdom we belong to. When you look at John the Baptist's life, nothing was normal. The first thing that actually um, alerts us to that isn't in this passage, but it's if you know your uh, Bible story around John the Baptist, is actually how his birth is announced. So you can flick through to Luke 1 if you like. We're just going to stay there for a second. But an angel announces the birth of John the Baptist, the conception of John the Baptist. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not you know, everyday experience. When I conceived Ezekiel and Evangeline, it wasn't like an angel of the Lord appeared to us and spoke to us about that. That's not everyday experience, but it was what happened for John the Baptist. The interesting thing is his dad cannot, his brain can't get into the radical nature of the kingdom. So he ends up going mute for the entire time of the pregnancy because he didn't believe the radical, crazy promise of the angel concerning John the Baptist. That alerts us to there's something a little bit crazy about this guy. But the thing is, John the Baptist isn't meant to be an exception. He's actually meant to set the standard for a new way of being the people of God, a new way of engaging with the kingdom. He is announcing a shift in season coming. And so when we read the story of John the Baptist, that shouldn't be, oh, he was weird, but we get to be normal. It's actually, God, what is my life meant to look like? Let's silence what culture tells me my life is meant to look like. What is it actually meant to look like according to the kingdom? Because when you actually look through what John did, it's quite funny. He decided that the best location for his preaching was not in the center of the city, but out in the wilderness. That's like us saying, okay, best methodology for growing a church. Anyone read the most recent book out there, strategies of how to grow a church? Oh yes, go into the desert where no one lives and start preaching there. That's what he did. He's like, brilliant strategy for a new moment in the kingdom. I'm going out there. Well, actually, he became incredibly successful, if you like, in ministry, because contrary to what the strategies of the world would tell us, if you fall in line with what God is telling you to do, regardless of how crazy it is, it's going to work the best. That's what the Bible consistently provokes us to see and believe. He ate a weird diet. He wore weird clothes. He was just unusual in every part of him. And I want to be really clear. I'm not suggesting we become weird just for weirdness sake. I'm suggesting we listen to what it looks like for us to be a people of the kingdom. And then we do it no matter how strange it might be. Because I want to say this. We often talk about Oh, but it was for him. But obviously, we've got to be normal. We've got to be relatable. Jesus used stories that were relatable to people. And we try to dumb, out, dumb down the level of strangeness that it might look like to be in the kingdom because we're terrified that we're going to release weird Christians who alienate everybody. But I want to say, when you chart the stories of person after person in the Bible, their stories well, let's try to think whose story is sensible in the Bible? Whose story makes sense? 
whose story does all the things that culture would tell you should happen for a life, whose career strategy charts the course that culture would tell them makes sense in the Bible, whose housing strategy, are are you with me? Like I'm trying to think how many people in the Bible lived normal lives and had biblical results. I'm coming up with nobody. That should tell us something about what it looks like to be a people of the kingdom. I was having a conversation with God this week about our home. And I was saying to him, you know, at at this stage in life, like the next step for people of my age, my stage of life is to buy a house. And I was kind of complaining to him because that's, that's not within reach. And he said, why does it matter? And I was like, well, obviously, that, like, that's the next, that's what you do. That's the next step. That's why it matters. And he was like, does it really? Now, I'm not saying that purchasing a house is a problem. I'm not even saying that God doesn't want us to own a house. But what I'm saying is often, even as the people of God, our next step is what makes sense with the rhythms of this world or what culture would tell you is your next step. That isn't necessarily the case as a Christian. When you look at the Bible, they did crazy next steps. Paul wasn't like, okay, I've sold my house and now we're moving to the next city. So what we're going to, I'm going to invest my finances because that's the next. It wasn't like that. They were living according to a completely different rhythm. And because of that, the normal next steps didn't even factor and go figure because they were living according to a different rhythm. They saw the results of that different rhythm. We will not see kingdom results if we are a community obsessed with what the next step is according to the wisdom of the world. I'm not saying going to college is a bad thing. I'm not saying getting a job is a bad thing. I'm not saying getting married is a bad thing. Having kids is a bad thing. I'm not saying any of those things are bad. But I am actually suggesting that if all of our lives looked like they fell into place in all of those things according to all of the logical next steps, I am concerned that we'll have got swallowed up with what the world is telling us our pace should be and we will never tap into all of the destiny of kingdom partnering that we were made for. We've gotta get comfortable with lives that are strange. And that isn't simply about what you wear or the language that you use. It's literally the course, the trajectory of your life. The decisions that you make, the places that you go, the things that you agree to do. I'm looking at the lives of the apostles. I'm looking at the lives of heroes of the faith. Let's look closer to our generation, looking at the life of revivalists. I am not finding people who did the normal thing at every next step. I'm just not. That should provoke something in us. I'm not saying destroy your life because, you know, you just got to go crazy. What I'm saying is listen to what God is saying. Listen to what God is saying. But then in the listening, we've got to have the courage to follow Because in the listening, he's going to tell us things that don't make sense. 
It's a guarantee. This is why I'm saying to you, partnering in the kingdom requires us to get comfortable with partnering with the strange. If that makes us think, I, I don't know if I'm okay with that. I, I want to do all the normal things. You can do it. Jesus will love you all the same. I'm just saying you won't see the same miracles. You won't partner with the fullness of the kingdom because you're buying into what culture tells you should be your next step rather than what your heavenly father is telling you. And he will consistently get you to go off the well-worn path because that's where the kingdom comes. So we've got to get comfortable with partnering with a strange. Second thing, partnering in the kingdom requires awareness of the season. When John came, he literally marked a season shift in the kingdom. He's suddenly saying to people, repent for the kingdom is at hand. For the first time, the kingdom that was far away is now close to you. This is a shift in the season and that shift requires an action which is repentance. That's what he's saying. This moment in time, everything changed and the people who were listening, if they wanted to partner with the kingdom, they would have to come into repentance, which isn't simply saying sorry, but is radically changing your perspective, radically changing how you think. He's saying to them, this next season of the kingdom requires you to open up your mind, think differently, believe differently, see differently. If not, you will not be able to partner with the kingdom. That's what he's saying. And at every uh, moment of the Gospels, every moment in Acts, every moment, in fact, when you look at the Old Testament, there's often this kind of marking of a season shift. And when that happens, there's a required action that goes with it. I'm thinking we talked a few weeks ago about Acts 1 and 2. That season shift, the Spirit is coming. Jesus says to them, okay, season shift is coming. This is the required action. Wait. In that season shift, if they did something other than wait, they would have missed that moment because they needed to be sensitive to what is the season before me and what is the required action that goes with this season. In Acts 2, the whole season shifts because the Spirit comes upon them. Now the required action isn't wait, the required action is go. And if they say, oh no, but he told us to wait, so I'm just going to stick on that, they would have missed the action of the season what is the season over Boston right now what season are we in now I want to say this as a caveat I don't want to say that we've got to be paralyzed with like are we gonna miss it or I've got to hear I haven't heard so I can't possibly do anything if you haven't heard, I want to say to you, he's a good father. It's his responsibility to lead. So we don't need to get paranoid and weird about it. But are we asking him, what's the season? At least we've got to start thinking in that way. What is the kingdom season over this city? Because the season will determine the action that we must take. We've got to understand, you've got to dress for the season. If you walked in this room, with a huge coat on and your rain boots, you would have been checking out a different weather app to the one I was checking out. You would have misunderstood the season. You gotta dress in accordance to your season. 
a couple of months ago, I kept checking my app, and for like a week, it was way off in the weather. And I was like, this is so weird. Like, I mean, I don't trust the weather app anywhere, let's be honest, it often lies, because it likes to trip us up and then laugh as we're totally inappropriately dressed for the moment. But like, this week was really bad. And I was like, what is going on? And then I realized that I was looking at the weather in London the entire week. And I was like, man, so many of us are doing that in the spirit realm. So many of us are not at all in tune to the season of the kingdom. We're in tune to the season of the world. I want to say this. So many of us prophesy out of the season of the world. Anyone can do that. That's not prophecy. That's intuition. And we got to stop it. We have so lowered the prophetic gift in our church communities to, I can sense what's happening in the room because I'm a feeler. Good for you. You don't need to be a Christian for that. Any person who has intuition can pick up on what people are feeling. That's not prophetic. The prophetic is tapping into the season of the kingdom, declaring what is to come, recognizing you might feel rain today, but I want to tell you, get ready because sunshine is coming tomorrow. That's prophetic. We've got to recognize the season where we're in. I want to tell you, Boston is in a different season. I want to tell you there has come a season shift over this city. And if we um, act in the way that we were acting in the last season, as if nothing has changed, we will not fully be able to partner with a new season because we will be wearing the inappropriate clothing for the season. I want to tell you we're entering into a season of acceleration. I want to tell you we're entering into a season where we will see many, many people saved. I want to tell you we're entering into his season for hunger for the prophetic and hunger for the miraculous. I want to tell you we're entering a season where the church will partner with government in order to bring solutions to government. I want to tell you we are entering a season in this city where far from being a city that is asleep, this city is waking up and if the church doesn't understand that, we will miss the moment of harvest ahead of us. This is a season shift of this city. Are you aware of it? Are you awake enough for it? And what are you going to do about it? Because if we as Christians stay in our little huddles as the season shifts, constantly talking about how hard this city is because we've not woken up to the softness of the city, to the gospel, we will miss the moment of harvest. And it won't be that it won't happen. It just won't happen through us. I don't think I've said this in this community before, but before we moved, I had a prophetic word where someone saw me dressed as Paul Revere. And at the time, I didn't know who Paul Revere was. He was um, part of the revolution. In fact, he was known as the mouthpiece of revolution. He went up and down the East Coast saying the British are coming, revolution is coming. And this prophetic word was before we moved, this guy didn't even know that we were moving to Boston, but he prophesied over me that I was dressed as Paul Revere. This last week I was speaking to someone who's been in Boston, born and bred, and she received a prophetic word a few months ago about being like a Paul
Paul Revere. And I started thinking there's a season shift coming because when the king, this isn't about me, this isn't about her, but when the king is rising, raising up revolutionaries, what time do you think it is? Revolution. He's not in on wasting his time. He's not like, oh, let's just get loads of revolutionary kind of folk just to see what will happen. It'll be funny. Revolution isn't happening. It's time for sleep, but let's raise up. That's not what's happening. A season shift is happening. Are we aware of it? Are we willing to dive into it? Because it requires something from us. It requires a willingness to partner with the strange. It requires a willingness to go off course from what the world would tell you should be your next move. It requires a change in clothes and a change in action. God is calling the revolutionaries. You know, there's this really sad verse in 2 Samuel 11.1 where it says, in the springtime, in the time for kings to go to battle, David stayed home and he sent his servant Joab. And if you know the rest of the story, you'll know that's when David falls into sin. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. He ends up killing Bathsheba's husband. It's a huge mess. The problem is he didn't know the season. He didn't act according to the season. And he ends up being off time from partnering with the kingdom. You and I, we've got to hear what's happening in the kingdom. We've got to raise our expectation of what the prophetic looks like. And then we've actually got to do something about it. We've actually got to partner. There are so many church communities, and I say this with fear and trembling, because we could easily be it. So this isn't about how smug we look right now. We haven't done anything yet, so we can't be smug about anything. There are so many church communities that pay lip service to the prophetic and to the supernatural. They're only interested in it on a Sunday morning. The rest of the week looks normal. You can't do that and partner with the kingdom. There's more that's required of us. And the last one, partnering in the kingdom, requires fruit. Isn't it interesting that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these are like the religious head honchos. These are the guys who constantly picked fights with Jesus. They actually went to be baptized. Like they went out to the wilderness. They're willing to go with the craziness that is John. They even go to submit to baptism. And his response isn't, finally, you guys are getting with the program. His response is, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. It's like, whoa, well, that's a little bit harsh, John. Like, at least they're trying. What's he saying to them? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He's saying to them, don't you dare add revival behavior to your list of religious behaviors, pat yourself on the back and leave. That's not how it works. I wanna say to us as a church community, we have gotta be careful. These things are sobering, they're meant to be. 
We're not playing church and I'm not here to play kingdom. These things are meant to sober us in the right sense in that we gotta be careful that we don't get enamored with revival behavior whilst we are hollow with zero revival fruit. Revival fruit is the focus, not revival behavior. We can fall down on the floor. We can burst out laughing. We can cry our eyes out. We can jump up and down. We can roar with praise. If it's not translating to fruit in our lives, then the response of John is what we would get because he's not interested in your revival behavior. He's focusing on your revival fruit. He's saying to them, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. These were the guys that didn't repent. They didn't change their minds because when Jesus came on the scene, they crucified him. You and I can be the loudest worshipers. The question is, if Jesus walked in the room, would we be in the crucifying camp or not? Because revival behavior doesn't automatically mean revival fruit. Partnering with the kingdom requires more than being able to sing and dance and clap and then go home with the same roots of bitterness that you had before because you will not let your offense go. It requires more than saying, I believe in honor, and then going home and saying, when it comes to me, but I'm not honoring those people, how dare they? It requires more than entering into the lavish generosity of Jesus and then walking home and saying, an offering to the poor. Mm, No, I think I'd rather have my second Starbucks coffee today rather than give to the poor, right? It requires more. We're not building a church with revival culture in mind. We wanna be a family with revival fruit that comes from the power of the Spirit. This is why we said, and I know I've said this a few months ago, we love the gifts of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is just as supernatural. I wanna see healing in our community. I pray for that most days. I keep saying to Jesus, we have to see healings in our community because if you're real, you're doing it, so we need to see it. I can't wait for the the first wave of miracles to hit us. It's gonna happen. I'm so excited about it, I'm praying for it. But I wanna tell you, if we see miracles like that, but we have not love, if we see miracles like that, but we still have no patience, if we see miracles like that, but we are still held in anxiety with no peace, if we see miracles like that, but we're not gentle or kind or joy, there's something wrong. Because the fruit of the Spirit is as crucial as the gifts of the Spirit. So partnering with the kingdom means that we're, at some point, if we genuinely want to see the kingdom come, gonna have to get comfortable with being strange. We're making strange choices, going off a different map than the one the world uses for what a successful life looks like. Partnering with the kingdom is gonna mean that we're gonna have to engage with what season we're in and then courageously choose the actions that are the appropriate ones for the season. And it means that we don't just congratulate ourselves with adding 
revival behavior to our list of religious acts that make us feel like we earn the favor of God. But we relinquish full control. We repent. We change the way we think in order to bear the fruit of the Spirit from us, through us, in us, and transforming the world around us. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to end in a few minutes. You guys doing okay? I was saying to you earlier that I, I was thinking through, like, God, what is the one, like, is there an example of a normal life in the Bible? Like, is there anyone who made normal decisions and came out with crazy results? Like, is there an example of that? I was thinking through the apostles. They, they saw the things that I dream of. We can't earn those things. But unless you're living in the place of the kingdom, neither can you see those things. It's not about earning them. Jesus has made the way open. It's not about us having to perform these rituals in order to be good enough to see the kingdom come. It's simply about us being willing to live in the kingdom. But if you're willing to live in the kingdom, then you go at the pace of the kingdom. Have you ever been in worship times <laughs> where someone is clapping offbeat while you're singing? Messes up the rhythm of the song. Like no matter, even if you know the rhythm, you start kind of going that way because the person with the loudest clap has the most influence. <laughs> See, the apostles lived crazy lives because they'd come into encounter with a God who lived according to the pace of a different world. And they were so overwhelmed by that Jesus that everything else changed. They couldn't help but live according to the sound that Jesus was making. They couldn't help but reorder and restructure and all the dreams they had for what their house might look like or what their children might do or what their families might. What happened to all of those dreams? They changed. The dreams changed in accordance with the sound that they heard from Jesus. It's a season of new dreams for us as a community. And they're gonna be impacted by the sound that Jesus is making. They're gonna be impacted by the rhythm of the kingdom. And we might find that our dreams for houses or families or whatever it is, jobs or promotions, they might change and they should change because there's something of the kingdom that's impacting them. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. I'm not even saying none of those things will happen. I'm just saying we've gotta fall in line with what the kingdom is saying. Why don't you open up your hands?